apps can do a lot of cool things. You could order dinner, gamble on your favorite team, and track your health. You could even get a mortgage. One click and you can be approved. I'm not sure by who or what country they're in. You deserve more from the mortgage industry. At AnyMac Home Mortgage, we believe in the need for live human interaction during a very complex process. The kind of service and guidance which an app simply can't provide. Our customers are more than credit scores and income documents. They're individuals and families who live in and strengthen our communities. Their story is our story, and that story begins in a home. Chris Sawyer is an expert on providing superior customer service and in meeting the mortgage needs of current and future home buyers. With over 18 years of experience in the industry, Chris is able to help customers migrate through the home buying and home financing process by using his wealth of knowledge as a well-qualified mortgage professional. And best of all, Chris is located in Cromwell, Connecticut, where he has helped hundreds of clients in Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island make their dreams of homeownership a reality. Visit chrissawyer.annie-mac.com, email him at csawyer at annie-mac.com, or give him a call, 860-878-8730. Chris Sawyer, NMLS number 39345, corporate NMLS number 338923, Home Mortgage and Equal Housing Lender, American Neighborhood Mortgage Acceptance Company, LLC, DBA, Annie Home Mortgage, Lo-Fi Direct, Connecticut First Mortgage Correspondent, License Lender, Broker Number, ML 338923, Massachusetts Mortgage Lender, and Mortgage Broker License Number, MC 338923, Rhode Island License Lender, License Number 20112810L. Call for additional details. Jones on first down, wide open, it's Barkley, and Saquon Barkley will take it into the end zone. Your best ability is availability. Saquon Barkley, he's great when he's on the field, but the problem is since 2018, he hasn't been healthy for this team. Look at this, they lob it to him, he taps it in off the glass. How about that? Porter Moser, I think right now is the best coach of college basketball, hands down. It's two for three, he's done his part. Pitch is drilled to deep right field toward the pole, and it is gone. They don't mind not being what they were in the 90s as the best organization in baseball, because the Yankees are not they're even close to the best organization in baseball. They're trying to be the Rays, and the Rays do this for a reason. Like, you're the Yankees. Welcome to Sports Talk with RNJ. I am Steve Verster, along here with Justin Anafrio. And the Celtics even their series with the Bucks last night at one as they beat the Bucks 109-86. Jalen Brown was outstanding. He had 25 points in the first half. You knew this game was over at halftime. The Celtics were up by 25. Jalen Brown couldn't miss. And Giannis had a rough first half. I mean, he was better in the second half, but it wasn't enough. Celtics and Bucks now tied 1-1 in this series. I mean, the big question now is, is who has the edge? Who has the edge now between the Bucks and the Celtics? And I'm going to go with the Celtics. I'm going with the Celtics. This is why I'm going to go with the Celtics. I could rely on the tandem of Brown and Tatum. For the Bucks, I, 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 I mean, I mean, really, who is the second guy you could rely on on the Bucks? There's no one. I mean, Joe Holiday's had a good series, but you can't rely on him. You can't rely on Bobby Porter. You can't rely on Brooke Lopez. You can't rely on Grayson Allen off the bench. I can depend on Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I'll, I'll more than I could depend on any uh, any uh, any uh, I could depend on it on any duo from the Bucks. Really, it comes down to that second guy. That second guy. The, I know that that uh, Giannis is clearly better than Tatum, but the Bucks without Middleton don't have that second guy like Jalen Brown. That's why right now I got this. I I think the Celtics have the edge in this series. Very close. It's very close. I think the series is going six or seven. But I think that the Celtics have the edge right now. Yeah, I'm with you. I got the Celtics as well. 
You know, and Sunday too, the Celtics shot probably one of the worst performances they've ever had in the playoffs. And obviously that was not going to happen again like it did in, like it did last night. And they shot the ball lights out. Again, they came out the killer instinct. They went up 18-3 to three and it kind of felt like, you know, they were going to blow them out and they ended up doing that. But, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm with, you know, with Tatum and, and Brown. They both had probably a hor- – you know, they both did not play well in game one. They both did not shoot the ball well in game one. All the, you know, game two, they were great. They're outstanding. They couldn't miss. They came out. They had a fi- fast start. Um, and, and they made they challenged Giannis. And they challenged Giannis every time he went up for a shot. I think he started like two for eleven shooting the shooting wise last night. But yeah, like you know, I, I think for the Celtics too, like guy off the bench, like Grant Williams has played really well in the playoffs. Like I think you you can kind of count on Grant Williams. Have you know even on the defensive end, I thought he played really well in the defensive end. He he makes all like the little things. That you kind of need, like, yeah, off the bench for for the Bucks, Grayson Allen. You know, he he's played pretty well in the playoff, but he did not play well last night. So yeah, I, I think the, the you know I can kind of trust the Celtics. Those two guys of Brown and Tatum, and I I starting to kind of think you can trust the Grant Williams off the bench too to come in, do all the little things for you to help you out. Um, you know, I, I think in the Bucks tried to use their advantage, you know, size advantage that they had against them, but it worked in Game One. It didn't really work for them in Game Two because the Celtics were knocking out threes. And the big question for the Celtics, though, going into game two was, is how is this team if Mark, how is this team going to play without Marcus Smart? Because their bench wasn't going to be as good because Derek White had to start. But Grant Williams stepping up was huge. That was huge for them. And their bench was better than the Bucks' bench last night. Grant Williams stepping up was huge. And obviously, you know, Jalen Brown. Because Jalen Brown did, wasn't, wasn't, wasn't good in game one, but he was outstanding last night. And if he plays this way, the Celtics are going to win this series. Oh, absolutely. Those two are on. Who knows if Crid Milton's going to be able to get back in time? You know, probably not, but, you know, maybe depending on how long this thing goes. But, yeah, you know, Marcus and, yeah, Marcus Smart, you know, defense play of the year. I thought they looked better offensively, too, without him in there. Like, I thought the ball move was better, you know, because I think Marcus Smart Sunday at times can kind of get a little bit, you know, too aggressive and make some poor shots at times. And I, I thought the Celtics, the, the, the flow was better without him in there last night. But, yeah, you know, with – if Brown and Tatum are on, I can't see the Celtics losing the series. As long as Chris Middleton doesn't come back, I, I can't see those two shooting like they did in game one three more times to lose the series. And there's a good, and there's a really good chance Middleton won't be back in the series. And that's why I, right now I got the Celtics in seven. I got the Celtics in seven because, and I, like I said in the open, I trust the Tatum of Brown, of Brown and a, I, trust the, I trust the tandem of Brown and Tatum. I trust that over anything the Bucks have. Giannis is outstanding, but the lack of having that second guy, I think, makes a difference in the series. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think Brown and Tamer are just going to be too enough for the Bucks, And I, I think Grant Williams is going to continue to play well coming off the bench. You know, Marcus Smart may come back uh, may back, come back in game three, and that's going to help out the Celtics on the defensive end of the floor. Yeah, I, I think the Celtics are just a little bit too much. I'll say the Celtics win this thing in six games. Six? Wow. So you think they win it. I'm Milwaukee's home floor. The way I think it's going to go is I think they split uh, three and four. I think the Celtics win five, Bucks win six, and I think the Celtics win game seven. But you think they close it on, on the defending champs' home floor? I think they do. I, I think, you know, for the way, what, 2019 they played in, in the playoffs and the Bucks just absolutely embarrassed them. I, I, think, the, I think the Celtics this time uh, return the favorite get, and, and knock them off on their home floor in game six. I think, they, I think Tatum Brown – will be too much that night and they figure out then they knock them off uh knock them off their home floor wow wow you got the so you got the celtics winning that game you got the celtics winning six 
I got the Celtics winning in seven. We'll see what happens. It should be this. This is the best series of the second round. But moving on to another Eastern Conference series, and that is the the Heat and the as the Heat and the Sixers. And the Heat beat the Sixers in Game One, one hundred six to ninety two. It, it, it the Sixers were lucky; it was as close as it was. That's just because of the game Tobias Harris had in the series. The big question is: is first is going to, it's going to be what do the Sixers have to do to get back into this series? It's pretty obvious. James Harden has to be great. But the problem is he's not capable of being great anymore. He isn't. He doesn't have that burst. He can't beat guys off the dribble the way he used to. He can't shoot the ball the way he used to. He's just not the player he used to be. And, that, and, and that's obvious right now. He's not the player he used to be. And he's got to be great. But I just don't think without – he's got to be great without Embiid. But I just don't think he has the capability of being great. He's not a, he's not a number one anymore. He proved that. He, he's proved that. In his last 16 playoff games, he's only scored more than 25 points two times. His best days are behind him. So, so that, that, but, but for me, that's what's got to happen. But there's a very, very slim chance of that happening. Yeah, there is. You know, um, yeah, James Harden is just not the same guy anymore. And yeah, as we mentioned, I just, just he's still just not in shape for what he did a couple years ago. You know, for what he did in the offseason, you know, with Houston, and then even this year, kind of, you know, last year with Houston, not paying out for him. Yeah, they need him to be great. You know, Tobias Harris outstanding in game one. He he carried him on his back and. Yeah, you need James Harden. And again, I love that the the he came out and they garden for ninety four feet with PJ Tucker. You know, wear him out. He's not the same athletic guy that he used to be. Wear him down, and you know, yeah, he's just not aggressive. He used to. He meant to. He can't beat anybody off the dribble anymore. He can't. And you know, in playoffs, you know, they swallow the whistles more. He can't go to the three throw line thirty five times a game. It just, yeah, it just. He's got to be great, and yeah, I don't see him doing that in in the series. There's no way. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, th- I think this is this is a five game series. I don't think it goes more than five. I think the Heat, the Heat crews in the series. Before we get to that, before we get to that, we'll talk about what the Heat have to do to go up 2-0. I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, Bam and uh, Hero got to continue to play the way they did in Game One. Maybe get a little more scoring out of Jimmy Butler. But I think if the Heat do what they did in Game One, they shouldn't have a problem in Game Two. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think yeah. Well, for the Heat, you know. Um, yeah, it, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo just kind of do whatever they want, you know. And Bam Adebayo, I mean, and, you know, Bam against DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan's not the same player he used to be. It, you know, he pretty much killed the Sixers the other night. I think he hit minus 22. Um, oh, he's awful, awful, he's, awful, yeah. terrible. And it hurts their bench, too. Horrible, yeah. horrible. Yeah, he did. And I, I think Bam keeps exposing him offensively and defensively. And Jimmy Butler just, yeah, I, I think – they, they're going to have a tough time. You know, I think Miles Dybul is going to have a tough time on Jimmy Butler guarding him, and I think Butler does whatever he wants. The Tyler Hero played well. Yeah, if you can get some points at Tyler Hero, like they didn't even play Duncan Robinson, but, you know, you can kind of count on him for scoring. Um, getting you a couple buckets as well. Yeah, I just I, – I see the Heat winning this in five. I think the Sixers probably steal a game at home, and but I, I don't see it going any farther than five games. No, same with me. I, 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 got, the, I got the Sixers – Winning this in five. I mean, it's funny. As we've said, no one really won this Harden-Simmons trade. They both lost it because Simmons didn't play and Harden isn't even close to the player he once was. So really, no one won the Harden. Really, no one won the Harden-Simmons trade. No, no, no. No, totally. And, you know, and the Sixers are probably loving now that he did not sign that $50 million extension too. Like, can you imagine maybe oh, yeah. on the hook for that? Oh, so- oh, oh. Yeah, it just again the Sixers got saved there a bit, but yeah, totally nobody nobody's won this this trade. You know, the Sixers got I mean the 
Nets didn't even win a playoff game. And Sixers look like they're going to get bounced here in the conference semifinals. And, yeah, just, you know. And, and did you see the incident? Hard, uh, Tyrese Maxey went to go – or Harden went to go sit next to Maxey the other night, and Maxey got up walked away from him. Like, wow, it just, wow, 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 wow. He just wow, kind of shows Harden wow. just not the greatest teammate in the world. No, no, no. I mean, I think he's a better teammate than, than guys like Kyrie and, and Westbrook, but yeah. – yeah, I'll, I'll give it to you. He's not the greatest teammate in the world. And you were right out about the Sixers. You were not high about the high on the Sixers going to the playoffs, and they and they and they've proven why they're not great. Yeah, it, it's it, you know, <laughs> Embiid Embiid's a great player. And again, it's something you mentioned for the last few years. You just can't win with the best player at the center. You just can't. No, no. You know, Tobias Harris is a really nice player. He's a nice piece, but James Harden's not the same guy. And you know, Maxi looks like he's gonna be a star in the making. But yeah, they just they don't have enough and. I used to really like Doc, but there's just been too many choke jobs with him in the playoffs. I not a big Doc River fan anymore. And yeah, it's just the Sixers team just it just too many issues. And you know, once again, they're gonna fall short. Do you think the Sixers move on from Doc? I think they might use the Embiid excuse to keep him around, but if they get blown out in the series, it may be time to move on from Doc. Yeah, it might. I, I would not be shocked. I I isn't he still late canning with the Lakers too? Like, you know, maybe the Lakers I think so, yeah, yeah. Try to, yeah, I think he you is, know, yeah. Maybe try to go out and get him. Maybe he does leave. I, I think maybe it's possible. I again, I think he get blown. Out. I think you would have to. I know he's got a good track get, getting teams to playoffs, but yeah, like you know, I don't think it's all him because I, I think there's some issues, you know, with Harden again. Yeah, be getting hurt. You know, it does hurt the team, but it, it might be if there's a better candidate out there. I you might as well try that and give it another shot. Exactly. 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 Now moving on to the Western Conference, and it was a great game last night between the Grizzlies. We're in a great, really good series so far. Game one was a one-point game with the Warriors winning, and then in game two, John Morant was outstanding, 47 points. He almost had a 47-point triple-double. He is proving that he's a superstar. He is he is outstanding. Obviously, Steph Curry's been great. Jordan Poole's been great. Klay Thompson hit that shot, but I feel like he needs to get, get things going. He's got to be a little bit better. Outside of that one shot, he's not had a good series so far. So Klay Thompson's got to get things going. But in terms of who has the edge, though, I got to give it to the Warriors because they're coming home. They're coming home. I think Klay Thompson will be better at home. And I think that John Morant is not going to be as special. He has not played in the Minnesota series. He did not play that well on the road. He was. If you look at his numbers on the road, he was not that good on the road in the Minnesota series. Uh, he's definitely been better at home in the postseason. I think it's going to be he's, – he's gonna, still going to be good, but I don't think he's going to be – and listen, I think John Morant's one of the top ten players in this league. He's outstanding. He's going to have Memphis in championship contention for the next decade. But I just don't think he'll be as good in uh, on the road in this series as he was at home. That's why I'm giving the Warriors the edge right now. Even though the series is tied at one, Justin, who do you who, who do you think's got the edge right now? Yeah, I get the Warriors that as well. You know, yeah, I think you brought a good point. Yeah, Morant probably gonna yeah, he's still gonna be good, but yeah, he's not gonna do as great as he did here at home. And I, I think you need Morant to be great, and you need other guys to step up because I just think the Warriors just have too much firepower. Yeah, I'm with, I think Clay Thompson bounced back. I think Curry shoots the ball better as well. He was three for eleven through last night. I think Jordan Poole is going to continue to shoot the ball well. I just think there's just too much firepower with this Warriors team. And I think with the maturity that this Warriors team's been here so many times before, and you got a really young Grizzlies team that I completely agree with you. They're going to be title contenders as long as John Morant's here for the immediate future, which, you know, so I, I just think though the Grizzlies, it's been a really nice season, but I, I think it's a good stepping stone. But, yeah, I just can't see them knocking off the Warriors here. 
and, you know, being on three more times, especially now going on the road. I think the Warriors would be tough out. I, I think Golden State probably wins the series in six games. Yeah, and the only way the Warriors are going to have chances, other guys around Ja got to step up. Jaron Jackson was great in game one, but but he was not that good last night. I mean, obviously, Dylan Brooks got ejected. He's, he's got to step up in game three. Desmond Bain definitely has to step up in this series. The guys around John Morant have to step up because uh, because because you can't expect John Morant to put up these, you know, 35, 40-point games in Golden State. The other guys around Morant, just like in the Minnesota series, they did. Other Like Desmond Bain was huge in the Minnesota series. Other guys around Ja have to step up for, for the Grizzlies to get to the conference finals. Yeah, absolutely. They have to. It's like the same thing. I know we're going to talk about the Mavs in May. It's like the same thing. Other guys got to step around Luka Doncic to have a chance because, look, you know, they're, you know, one guy can't, you know, do it all in basketball for 48 minutes. You know, he could maybe do it for the final five minutes in a close game, but he can't do it for the full 48. And, yeah, you know, again, because they do have some pretty good players. Yeah, Jaron Jackson did not shoot the ball well last night. Yeah, Dylan Brooks getting ejected very early, you know, Thought it was going to hurt, you know, I, obviously it, they missed not having him on the floor last night, but they still got away with the win. Yeah, you know, you need guys to step off of this bench. You know, you got a Warriors scene that you got, you know, Jordan Poole's had a, a tremendous season. You know, and then obviously you got Seth Curry and Clay Thompson, you know, and Andrew Wiggins are very good players as well. Like, you know, the Warriors just have star power. And, you know, I think, you know, yeah, Memphis has a really good young core, and they're going to need all those guys to really help out, help out and and, and, you know, help, help John Morant get, you know, get by the series because yeah, it just, you know, you're facing an older team, you're going on the road. It's, you know, and just, a, it, it, it's a team, it's a team of the Warriors that they're really not going to beat themselves. You know, they're not going to make a mistake late in the game. That's going to cost them the game. You're going to have to take it from them. And yeah, they're going to need other guys besides John Morant to step up and win the series. Yeah, you may, yeah, the Warriors are a team that knows how to win. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, they know how to win. Clay, when Clay and Steph have been together the last, you know, the last five postseasons, they've been together. They've gotten to the NBA Finals every year. These guys know how to win. Even though Clay Thompson didn't have his best game on on Sunday, he was able to hit the shot to win the game on Sunday. So, yeah, these this backcourt of, of Clay and Steph has been here before they've been able they've been able to do it they don't lose in the they have not lost in the post the last five times they've been in the post they've been in the, in the playoffs they've gotten to the nba finals so i like this memphis team i i, I like this they're a really good they're a really fun exciting young team but i gotta take the, the i gotta go with the experience here and go with the warriors in six yeah i completely agree with you Warriors in six just too much firepower i think memphis yeah it's a very i think the future is very bright for the memphis grizzlies like it was a couple years ago when they kind of had that really nice core. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just not their time yet. You're taking on a really good Warriors team. Um, that yeah, you're going on the road now. I can't, I don't see the Warriors losing three more games to the Grizzlies. I think the only way the, the Warriors lose a series is they kind of just shoot themselves out of it. And I don't, and that's not it. And they're just too good of shooters to shoot themselves to, you know, lose three more games. Absolutely. 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 So we'll talk about the last series and that is between the Mavs and the Suns. Suns win game one, 121. No, Suns win game one over the Mavs, 121 to 114. But Luka Doncic was outstanding with 46 points. I think this one's pretty obvious. What do the Mavs have to do to even the series? Guys got to step up around Luka. Brunson's got to step up the way he did in the Dallas series. Dinwiddie's got to step up. Kleber was really good, but even guys like Bullock, those guys have to step up in the series or the Mavs will have no shot to beat the Suns. This thing will be over in five games. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, we know we talked about Luke last last week, you know, Luka Doncic is a tremendous player. But, yeah, you can't, you know, and as I mentioned too with Moran and the Grizzlies, yeah, you, you can't – one guy can't win you the game for 40 – Do just do it all with point scoring. You, you need some other guys around them. And I thought, you know, the Sun did a great job defensively too of making sure that they let, they let Luka Doncic kind of go off. They, they made sure that nobody else was going to beat them and that second guy was going to be out there. I know it hurt that Jalen Brunson got in foul trouble, you know, and Kleber, you know, really shot the ball well. But yeah, the Suns defensively kind of just said, "All right, you know, we'll we'll let Luca get his, you know, forty-five points. We'll, we'll make sure nobody else gets more than like 20, 25 points." And I thought the Suns had a great defense game plan. And yeah, they're good. You know, yeah, Dallas is going to need somebody to step up. They're going to need that second guy. Yeah, can that be Bronson? It obviously can be. I thought Spencer didn't really play well in the Utah series. You know, he's going to have to step up and score and and, and kind of you know help off help off the bench for them to have chances. Yeah, this Suns team, again, they had all five guys were in double figures. You know, they they all did a really good job of um, cheering the basketball, and, and you know, they, they did a great job great job of that offensively. They, they have a bunch of guys that beat you, and Dallas really – Dallas can, but it's just inconsistent. Yeah, but here's the thing. I kind of disagree about them having a great defensive game plan. You cannot let the best player – Get forty six. The only player that 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 could that could beat you get forty six points. You can't. I just feel like you can't allow that to happen. And I think for the Suns, I, I think they're in really good shape in the series because it looks like Devin Booker is healthy. But the only way the Suns could lose this series if they let Luca, you know, go off like this because they're lucky that you know you know Dinwiddie and uh, Brunson didn't have good games because they could have they could have lost. So I I, I, per, per, I think that they got to make sure they're containing Luka Doncic. They can't let Luka go crazy because the only way the Mavs can win this series is if Luka goes crazy. Because if Luka goes crazy and the other guys play well, that, that uh, the Mavs could upset them. I think the only way that the Suns could lose is if Luka goes crazy. Yeah, and I see your point of that. I think because I liked it more of where, you know, they double team them a lot at all and they kind of stuck on the other guys where instead of kind of coming at Luca and doubling them and you, maybe you create an open shot for, you know, uh, Jalen Brunson, Spencer Dinwiddie or Max Kleber and they kind of knock down shots, you know, where that could hurt you and then kind of opens things up there for, you know, then it kind of opens things up. You kind of get away from the double teams. But yeah, because I, I think, you know, the Suns kind of, I, you know, and I think the Suns, and I kind of like from the Suns too, with, you know, because yeah, like again, you let Luca go off for 45. I know it's a lot, and you kind of wish you hold held them up less. But yeah, like, I, I get, you know, one on one, if Kleber and, and Dinwiddie and Brunson could really kind of step up, knock down shots, and put less pressure on, on Luca, I think it's going to help that whole team out as well. But um, I, I, I did like that the Suns really. I, I but like I I, I like this one made sure that really nobody else was going to beat them besides Luca, and I, I know yeah they're they, you know the the Suns could have been really been lucky and I you know they you know played a good fourth quarter but you know it was kind of over by then, um you know and he shot the ball really well I just I I, I do like the way the Suns kind of just made sure that nobody else besides and they're going to let Luca score forty five yeah that could get problematic especially late in a close game that could really get problematic but it didn't really hurt them the other night it could hurt them down the line um because i, I do think dallas has some scores that could get that could hurt them um but it, it it didn't the other night yeah but the thing is is i would i would let the other guys i'd let the you know Klebas, the dinwiddies the brunson i'd let them beat me i don't want luca to 
go crazy because that's really the only shot you have in this in the, the Mavs have in this series. Because if you're drafting players, obviously Luke will be one, but you're taking Booker, Aiton, and CP3. Uh, they're clear. They clearly have the next. They have the. They clearly have the, the three best players after that. So I'm not letting Luca Luca beat me. I'm doubling him all the time, and I'm letting Kleba and uh, Brunson and uh, Dinwiddie. I'm letting those guys. You know, if they're gonna. I'm letting those guys beat me. I am not letting Luca beat me. So I think the key for the Suns to stay up 2-0. They, I mean, the big three's got to keep scoring the way they are, and they got to contain Luka Doncic. That's my. That's that's what I think the Suns got to do to to go up 2-0. Yeah, I hear you saying. Yeah, you know. Making sure, yeah, Luca doesn't kill you late in game. I'm like, Cleaver's a great corner shoot, three, three point corner specialist. He's been great. Um, the corner threes, you know, yeah, like I, I just think, you know, the Sun didn't want to make sure that, you know, like a Cleaver didn't put up 30 with them, um, with a Luca Doncic putting up 30, 35. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. That they, you know, that's kind of, I gotcha. Yeah. I yeah. Gotcha. So that, that's kind of what I'm, the where I'm going with. But I, I do see your point of it. Yeah. You want to double, make somebody else beat you. Um, I do see where you're going there. And, you know, my, my for Phoenix to go up two outs is, is, um, continue to the pick and roll game with Aiden, just continue to, to, uh, take, or, um, take, take advantage of Dallas's, you know, struggle in the, uh, paid defense. Cause yeah, since they lost, um, Porzingis in the trade, you know, Powell's not a great interior defender and neither is Kleber. And I, I think Aiden just going to continue to dominate. I think continue getting the ball. Again, they try to double eight in the paint that they kick out three to Paul or Booker or Johnson, anybody or Bridges, anybody else, you know, the, to the three point shooters. I, I think this, the Suns um, will, will be a tough out there, Nate, not, knocking out shots. It's in in Aiden's a really good finisher on the rim. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So we'll see what happens tonight. We'll see what happens this weekend in these Western Conference series. Right now, I think that uh, I think the Suns are, are I think the Suns and, and uh, Heat win in five. Uh, uh, Celtics win in seven and uh, and the Warriors win in six. But it'll be interesting to see what happens. But we got a wide receiver who's suspended for the first six games of the season. But before we talk about that, we got a promo from Clovercrest Media. Come on out for a day of fun to the Cove Kids Classic presented by Clarity. Friday, May 6, 2022 at Lyman Orchards Golf Club to benefit the Cove Center for Grieving Children. Partnership opportunities are available. All proceeds from the Cove Kids Classic support the Cove's free programs. Please consider partnering with us to continue to support grieving children and teens in 2022 and beyond. For more information or questions, call Allison Gamber at 203-634-0500 or email allison at covect.org. The Cove Kids Classic takes place Friday, May 6th at Lyman Orchards Golf Club. Registration begins at 8 a.m. Shotguns start at 9 a.m. on the player course. All righty, so before we get to the draft, big news out of the NFL this week. DeAndre Hopkins suspended for the first six games of the season due to uh, the due to uh, uh, breaking the NFL's PED policy. So he is going to be suspended for the first six games of the season. And the big question is going to be is, are the Cardinals a playoff team with him missing the first six games? And if you look at Kyler Murray's numbers without DeAndre Hopkins, they're, it's, it's, it's a huge difference. If you look at, you know, you look at Kyler Murray's career. He's six fourteen and one without DeAndre Hopkins. When he has DeAndre Hopkins, he's sixteen and ten. So he's definitely he's clearly a better quarterback 
when he has DeAndre Hopkins. You look at the numbers from last year. In the 10 games where he had Hopkins, he had 19, 19 touchdowns and nine picks. In the five games, he didn't. Five touchdowns and three interceptions. So the big question is, are the Cardinals still a playoff team? Even though they traded for Mark for Hollywood Brown, are they still a playoff team with, with Hopkins missing the first six games? And I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. I, I don't think they are. Even though I wouldn't be surprised if they get into the playoffs, and you kind of have to see who they play in those first six games, I, I think I don't think they are. I, I don't think the Cardinals are a playoff team without him because Kyler Murray is not as good of a quarterback. He makes a huge difference. You saw the difference in the Cardinals' offense when he was out last year. So as of right now, I'm going to say no. I think the Cardinals are not a playoff team without with Hopkins missing the first six games of the season. But, Justin, I kind of know the where you're going, but are the Cardinals a playoff team without DeAndre Hopkins for the first six games? No, with you, I don't either. I'll take your – you know, I you know brought some good numbers as well. Um, you brought up some good numbers there with the difference between Murray and Hopkins when when uh, Murray has Hopkins. Yeah, and I, I found so, you know, and, and I'll kind of add on to that is you know last year they were one and four after Hopkins got hurt week fourteen, and then you know the Cardinals only averaged nineteen points a game. You know they you know they're um, scoring about 24, 25 a game, so you know they got about a touchdown less without him in there. So, and I, I think you know the schedule too of I know. But like the, so the opponents that are playing, they got to play the AFC West, which again, that's like the toughest division in football. You know, their add-on game in like the their add-on game week, you know, or 17th game in New England, that's at home now. But like, yeah, you know, again, it's I think it was like I heard they they possibly could have like the second toughest schedule in, in the league this year, and um, I think that's I think it to be difficult to overcome. You know, you're going to have to choose that home and Chargers at home. You know, obviously they're division opponents. You know, Tampa Bay comes to Arizona. Like, you know, some of them are, are at home, but can they take care of business? I, I don't know. So, yeah, I think, you know, you, you lose a top wide receiver, Don J. Hopkins, who's one of the best in the game. You're going to have a step back, and I, I think the Cardinals will. I could see them finishing right around 500, but I don't think that that's going to be enough to get them in. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I I agree. I agree. I don't think the obviously we know the coaching isn't great, and Kyler Murray is just not as good. So we got to see who they play in the first six games. But as of right now, I don't have them as a playoff team. But the Cardinals did get a receiver. They did. Uh, they did add Hollywood Brown. But we're gonna kind of go more on the Ravens' angle of this. Is with without Hollywood Brown, are the Ra- because we still consider the Ra- even though the Ravens finished eight and nine last year, I, we still consider them a top team in the AFC when they're healthy. But now that Hollywood Brown is gone. Are the Ravens still a top team in the AFC? And I think, yes, I think they are. Even though Lamar Jackson was really upset that he got traded, I still think they're a top team. I think, you know, this, and I think a lot of it was because of the draft they had. I think they got the, they got a steal with Kyle Hamilton. I think they got the best secondary in football with Marcus Williams, Kyle Hamilton, uh, Marcus Peters, and, and, uh, and uh, Merlin Humphrey. I think they got the best secondary in football. Uh, and I really like the second, their, their other first round pick getting Tyler Linderbaum. I think their offensive line is going to be improved if Rodney Stanley can stay healthy. So I, th- I, I still think the Ravens are a top team in the AFC without Hollywood Brown. But Justin, do you think the Ravens are still a? T- are, are, do you think the Ravens are a top team in the AFC without Hollywood Brown? Yeah, I think so. You know, yeah, I'm with you. I think they had a phenomenal draft. You know, Harbaugh still one of the best coaches in the league. They were really banged up last year. I know they play in a really tough division. Um, but like I think yeah, you still got a really good tight end and Mark Andrews. You know you still got that. I know you know wide receiver is not great. Does this put them in, in the Debo Samuel sweepstakes here? You know I, I would assume maybe. I know the 49ers doesn't sound like they're going to trade him right now, but possibly maybe they could land um, Debo Samuel in, in the trade if San Francisco gets rid of him. 
Yeah, you know, like I can't imagine Baltimore being as banged up as they were last year. Um, you know, it'll be interesting how they, they you know, what they do. Because I, I think Rashad Bateman could be a, a, a good wide receiver in the NFL. I don't know if he's going to be ready to be a number one guy next year yet. Um, yeah, that'll be interesting. But, yeah, I think their defense is going to be really improved as long as they can stay healthy. I thought the Ravens really had a good draft. And, yeah, I think they'll figure it out. I know it's a tough division. But I, I trust that organization that they'll figure it out. They'll be competitive. And I think they find a way to make the playoffs and would not surprise me to see them win a game or two. Yeah, and Rashard Bateman, you made a great point with Rashard Bateman. He has got to step up this year. He has got to be the guy the Ravens took in the first round last year. He has really got to step up. If that team wants to keep up with Cincinnati in those games, he is in those divisional games with the Bengals when they have when they have Joe Burrow and, and Higgins and Chase. I mean, Rashard Bateman is really, really going to have to step up this year. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he's going to have to. He's going to have to stay on the field. Um, you know, he only played a handful of games last year, which kind of, you know, I, you know, he had the, you know, offseason injury. Yeah, you know, because, yeah, right now it's just, it's such a young wide receiver core, you know, with Devin Duvernay and James Prochi, Tylen Wallace. It, it's a very young wide receiver core. They don't really have a veteran in that room right now. And, yeah, somebody's going to have to step up and do that. That's going to be Bateman. Again, you know, he had a great career at Minnesota. Um, he was a phenomenal wide receiver. So, yeah, you know, he, there's a lot of expectations on him right now to kind of step up, be the guy. Because, yeah, there's not much. Devin Duvernay, you know, more of a slot guy in size. What? Yeah, I don't trust him at all. I don't trust Duvernay yeah. at all. Yeah, I know he's undersized. Yeah, he's um, undersized a bit there. He's more of like a slot guy. Um, Jane Prochi out of SMU, like, yeah, I know he's a real speed threat, but he hasn't done much in his career. So, yeah, for, like, for Bateman, you know, he definitely has to step up for that outside of Mark Andrews. I like the Charlie um, Kohler pickup, their drafts, the draft pick um, out of Iowa State. I think he's going to be a solid tight end this league. But um, yeah, they're, they're going to need a, yeah, they're going to need Bateman to really step up this year and be a number one because they, at the moment, they don't have, you know, they don't have really anybody else right now that um, feels that they can kind of burn you. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Had another receiver trade in the draft, and that was between the Eagles and the Titans. And the Eagles picked up A.J. Brown. They traded their 18th pick for A.J. Brown. Then the Titans went out and drafted uh, Traylon Burks. You kind of felt like that was going to happen after – you know, that was pretty obvious that was going to happen after the Titans traded uh, A.J. Brown to the uh, Eagles. And the big question is, are, are the Eagles the best team in the NFC East with A.J. Brown now? And are the Titans still the best team in the AFC South? And I think the Eagles are the best. I, I I have right now. I got the Eagles as the favorite in the NFC East. I really like what they've done this off season. I like what they did in the draft, getting Jordan Davis. Obviously, they got the steal. The, they might get the steal of the draft into Kobe Dean. I, I think AJ Brown and De, uh, Devontae Smith. I think right now they got a better receiving core than the Dallas Cowboys. Even though the Cowboys are the better quarterback, I think they got a better offensive line than the Dallas Cowboys. I think their defense is close to as good as the Cowboys. So right, and we all know the Cowboys. You know, with McCarthy and all the drama going on there. So right now. I say that the Eagles are the best team in the NFC East. And for the Titans, I don't think they're the best team in the AFC South now. And you and you heard Tannehill's comment yesterday saying, it's not my job to mentor uh, uh, it's not my job to mentor Malik Willis. And we'll get to that. Uh, I think he's scared. I think Tannehill's scared. I think he's starting to lose some confidence. And I think I'm going to go with the Colts. I think their roster has gotten a little bit better. I think the Titans has gotten a little bit worse. I think with this move, the Titans are not the best team in the AFC South. But Justin... What do you think? Do you think the Eagles are the best team in the NFC East? And you think the, and do you think the Titans are still the best team in the AFC South? Yeah, right now I think it's the Eagles. I, I think 
the addition of I think that outstanding draft, they, you know, I know we'll talk about it in a few minutes. I, I think the you know, Eagles are right top five of you know, kind of top kind of draft teams. And I think they had a great draft. I think they, you know, adding Jordan Davis, you know, with Fletcher Cox up front, they're gonna be impossible to run run against next year. You know, I, I think that wide receiver record is very good. Again, they they've done everything they can to help out Jalen Hurts. And yeah, this know, is the year. He's got to yeah. get it done this year. They not only have to win the division. They got to look like they're a Super Bowl contender if they want to move forward with Jalen Hurts. They can't be down thirty-one to nothing in the second half of a playoff game. Yeah, absolutely. They 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 can't. I, I do really like Jalen Brown. I, I mean, Jalen Hurts coming out. Um, you know, I I think he can do it. I I think he'd be the guy. I you know, but yeah, he's got to really show them now. And you know that that's going to be the big thing here. You know, AJ Brown, Devontae Smith. You got two really good wide receivers there. Yeah, offensive line's going to be better. Again, you know, the Eagles, yeah, they took advantage of, of an easier schedule. They beat who they had to beat. Now can they kind of take that next step, beat some teams that, you know, are above 500, kind of be a little bit better than them? You know, how does Nick Sirianni do in, in, in your year number two as a head coach? You know, can he, you know, does he improve? I think, you know, I think the Eagles can be. I think, you know, Dallas, I don't – Dallas had a pretty good draft, but, you know, yeah, can I kind of – trust the Cowboys right now I don't I don't really know I know you know they lost pieces of the offseason I kind of liked what the Eagles are doing um I like some of the creativity they used last year and I think they can kind of use that even more now with a guy like AJ Brown so yeah I, I do think the Eagles right now are the favorites right now they win the NFC East and I'm with you as well I think the Colts are better than the Titans at the moment um you know I, I quarterback with Matt Ryan you kind of seen what he's been able to do I know they may not have the greatest wide receiver in the room as possible. You saw what he did with that Falcons team last year. He, what, stole him probably four games. So I, I think that's a positive for the Colts. You know, you got one of the best running backs, Jonathan Taylor. You know, obviously the Titans, it's just, you know, you don't have a guy like A.J. Brown to kind of bail you out a wide receiver anymore. You know, Traylon Burks, I think he's going to be a good wide receiver. I just don't think he's going to be a number one guy right away. Um, you know, you got Derrick Henry. You know, that defense got a lot better last year. But right now, yeah, I, I think, you know, Tannehill, yeah, it was very interesting comments there about Tannehill. He's not been great. You saw what he did in the postseason. It was awful. But, yeah, right now, I I, I think the Colts are a little bit better um, than Tennessee Titans. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think the Colts right now are the best team in the AFC South. So now we're going to recap the draft. And uh, for me, we, the first pick, I think we knew that the uh, that the, that the, the, uh, the Jags were going to take uh, Trayvon Walker. Still a major reach for me, but they did. And you knew right when the Jazz Jacks took Walker, the Lions were taking Hutchinson. It, did, it took them no time at all to put the card in. They were going to take Aiden Hutchinson, and they did with the number two overall pick. Another reach at number three with the with the te- with the with the Texans taking Derek Stingley, and that set up the Jets and Giants. I mean, the Jets were able to get the best player on the board with a the best defensive player on the board with a Mod Sauce Gardner, and then at number ten they were able to go get Garrett Wilson. So that set things up for the Jets. It set up things for the Giants too. With with going out and getting uh, Evan Neal and uh, Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau, same thing with the Giants. They got the best player on the board and their biggest need at five and seven. And then uh, then the Panthers. We thought maybe that was the first place a quarterback was going to go. They did. They passed on a quarterback. They went to address their need at tackle, getting Eki uh, uh, uh And then uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, Lions traded up for Jamison Williams. And the Ravens probably got the steal, maybe one of the steals of the draft in Kyle Hamilton. And the first quarterback that went was Kenny Pickett to the Steelers. I think we were wondering where that first quarterback was going to go. We knew it didn't go to Carolina. It probably was going to drop all the way to 20, and the Steelers ended up taking Kenny Pickett. So, Justin, what's your uh, thoughts on the first round of the draft? 
Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm with you. Walker, I thought it was a reach. Um, I, I thought, you know, you could go edge there with Hutchinson or kind of bulk up that offensive line. Now, how about Trevor Lawrence for the future? They didn't really do that. Yeah, Houston going with Stingley, you know, was a little bit surprising, but, you know, yeah, two years ago, this guy, 2020, this guy, you know, kind of for this draft, it kind of looks like he could be the number one pick. And, you know, the last couple of years hasn't been great, kind of just coasted towards the end here. Um, I think, yeah, he can be a really good player, but yeah, you, you, you know, can he get back to that level that he was, you know, a couple of years ago when that LSU team went on that, that run there, um, that great, kind of great seal. And yeah, that all kind of, yeah, set up the Jets and Giants. You know, I, I think, you know, both, both those teams had a great draft, especially in the first round, uh, you know, they get, they got a lot of talent and, you know, Drake London, I thought going to Atlanta, I, I thought, you know, maybe they go with a Garrett Wilson instead of Drake London um, for Atlanta. They did. I, I, but yeah, you know, the Carolina not going the quarterback there. It's not, not surprising that they kind of held on there. I think, you know, dressing off of the line with maybe a little bit bigger. I know San Donald has not been great, but I, I think, you know, the offensive line was just so bad. Kind of bulked that up. I, you know, as we've mentioned, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, there's not total confidence. There's one guy here in this, in that quarterback class that's going to be a franchise guy for a while. You know, take, take the offensive lineman said. I, I like the line trying to draft up or move up there to get Jameson Williams as well. Cause it did, um, they, yeah, um, cause yeah, the wide receiver room for Detroit's not been great. You know, even next year they go out, get a quarterback, you know, and, and get that franchise guy. You know, um, the replace Stafford after all these years. If Baltimore, as we mentioned, yeah, Kyle Hamilton to steal at number thirteen, number fourteen, and yeah, you know, talking, it's just safety too. You know, maybe not, not being a premium position. Kind of the Ravens kind of took advantage of that. Um, you know, and then getting off the line as well. And then with the Jets too, getting um, I forgot about this talking about the Jets. Jermaine Johnson too. You know, people had him in his mock draft in the top ten. You got him at twenty six as another edge rusher. So. Um, you know, and then I, I like to, what the Chiefs did as well, getting George, um, Griffophilus and then, you know, and then getting Trent McDuffie too in there for the defense. So, um, I, I liked what the Chiefs did. Yeah. Probably the reach of the first round was probably my Patriots, but oh my God, yeah. he, 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 fit, he fits what Bill wants to do. And oh, that's, please, Bill please. Doesn't, we'll get to, we'll get to that. We'll yeah. get to that. We'll get to that. But, you know, so, um, overall, you know, kind of, you know, wasn't shocked that the quarterback dropped all the way to, the Pittsburgh, you know, um, you know, maybe he thought the Saints would get Malik Willis there at 19 or pick it, but they ended up not um not going quarterback. No, 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 they 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 didn't. And uh so we're gonna go over our winners and losers of this draft. And first we'll start with our winners. I'll I'll start with my winners of the draft, my five winners. First, I'm gonna go with obviously the team that I think everybody thinks had the best draft, and that's the New York Jets. I think obviously getting getting uh, I'm not getting Sauce Gardner, getting Garrett Wilson, getting uh, obviously trading up to get uh, Jermaine Johnson, and then in the second round trading up to get Brees uh, Hall. They got four starters in this draft. To me, they hit a home run. They had the best draft. My second winner is the Baltimore Ravens, and we talked about that getting Kyle Hamilton, then going out trading. Uh, they made that trade for Hollywood Brown, but then they got Tyler Lindenbaum, and then getting David Ajabu. I know he probably won't play this year, but he could be a very, very good pass rusher for that team going forward. Number three, I got the Kansas City Chiefs. I like them going out and addressing their needs, going out and getting a, a, a Trent McDuffie, trading up to get Trent McDuffie, getting George Christophilus, and 
in the second round going out and getting Sky Moore. So I really like what the Chiefs did. Number four, my fourth winner, the Eagles. I like the fact the Eagles got Jordan Davis. They traded up to get Jordan Davis. And they probably could very easily have to get the steal of the draft in Kobe Dean. So I like what the what, I like what the Eagles did, and I like how they got Cam Jurgens. I think I like you know they're going to need a center because Jason Kelsey is getting up there and, and is, is getting is getting old. And number five, I'm going to go with the Lions because the Lions knew right when Trayvon Walker was picked that they were taking Aiden Hutchinson. They didn't even think about it. They were going after Aiden Hutchinson, and they were aggressive and they trade up to get Jamison Williams. So those are my five winners: Jets. Ravens, Chiefs, Eagles, and Lions. Justin, your winners. All right, my four, my first four year, I agree with you. Number one, two, I got the Jets as well. Yeah, they had a great draft. You know, they got three, maybe top ten picks. You know, all in the first round, and you got one of them at number twenty six, Jermaine Johnson. Um, you know, and yeah, Brees Hall. I think coming at running back with um Carter in the backfield next year. I think it could be a nice complimentary backfield next year. Brees Hall could do a lot of the backfield and. People thought, you know, going the year could be one of the, like, the Heisman favorites there. Um, he's a really talented running back. And then Jeremy Rucker as well at tight end. I think he possibly could be the best tight end coming out of this class as well. Um, and I, I know that the Dave Jets have, you know, struggled at, at tight end position the last couple of years. So I thought the Jets had a great draft. Number two as well, I got the Ravens. Yeah, Kyle Hamilton definitely could be the steal of that first round. Tyler Lindbaum out of Iowa. And, you know, Iowa always produces great offensive linemen at the NFL level. Um, you know, probably the best center in this class. He had a really good one. And then Travis Jones out of UConn, after the senior bowl, people were giving him like a – Oh, you got to give the yeah. UConn guy some love. You got to give the UConn guy some love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After after the senior bowl, people were kind of giving him like a first-round grade. You got him at number 76, so, you know, in the third round. So, possibly to bulk up that defensive line there um, and Travis Jones and Charlotte – um, Kohler, um, yeah, Troy Kohler out of Iowa State tight end position. I think he kind of fits with a Mark Andrews. He's kind of, you know, similar, big, big tight end. Um, I, I think he'll fit with that offense. I think so. I think the Ravens had a really good draft. Number three was the Chiefs as well. I, you know, they, they dressed their defense, which obviously in that, in that division, now you're going to need it. Trent McDuffie, George, um, Carl Lockfitz out of Purdue. Sky Moore, I think, really fits that offense of what they want to do. He's 5'10", but, um, you know, I, but he's quick. Um, it's hard to stop in the open field. I, I like what the Chiefs did as well, um, addressing and getting another wide receiver for Patrick Mahomes. And then number four is the Eagles, getting Jordan Davis. And, you know, the Kobe Dean there late late in that um, – late in the third round, you know, a, for a guy who could be a first-rounder, at pick number 83 is very good, and then – at, at tight end two, Grant um, Caltrea, Caltrea out of um, SMU. He played at Oklahoma for a couple of years, and he's kind of had some concussion issues, kind of retired for a year, went to SMU, had a really good year. Um, you know, he's a solid tight end, good route runner. I, I did like him at SMU with that offense last year. And then number five for me, I went with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think they were very solid. And, again, they they addressed their offense. You know, they, they really needed – they got some explosiveness in that offense, what they needed. You know, Kenny Pickett obviously coming over. Um, I like Calvin Austin coming from, you know, um, coming from Memphis, you know, special teamer guy as well. Um, he's explosive. Uh, so, you know, and, and George Pickens as well, wide receiver. So, yeah, I, I think um, the the Steelers had a really good draft addressing their offense, kind of because they didn't have any explosiveness, explosiveness, explosiveness last year in their offense. 
And I think they did a really good job of trying to address that. And I think they did. Yeah, they definitely did. Getting Pickens. You like Pickens. You like you had him going in the first round of your mock drafts. So you really, really like George Pickens. But we're going to go to our losers now. And uh, I'm going to do mine first. And number one is the New England Patriots. I did not get the Cole straight. I didn't get what they did. They were at 21. They could have taken Trent McDuffie and they trade down. Then they re- they could have had Daxton Hill there. They reach and get Cole Strange, who had a third-round grade. I did not get what they did at all. And then their second pick, there was another reach. They took a guy with a fourth-round grade. So I don't get what the Patriots did at all. I don't get what the Patriots did at all. That's why they're my number one loser in this draft. Number two is the Dallas Cowboys. They had Jermaine Johnson sitting there, sitting there at 24, with a need at defensive end because they lost Randy Gregory, and they didn't take him. They had Jermaine Johnson just sitting right there. And they go out and reach for a tackle who they could have gotten in the second or third round in Tyler Smith. So I thought – and then with their second pitch, I thought they they retched for the, for the pass rusher. I thought they retched for Sam Williams out of Ole Miss. So I think there were two reaches there to start the draft for the Cowboys. So I, that's why the Cowboys are one of my losers. Number three, the Minnesota Vikings. What are – earth to their new GM. What are you doing trading inside your division? You not only did it once – you did it twice. You did it in the first round, trading down with the Lions, so the Lions can go get Jamison Williams, and then you you traded down in the second round so the Packers could get Watson. I don't understand that at all, at all. I don't understand what the Vikings did in this draft. That's there. That's why they're my number three loser. Number four, it's we're going to stay in the NFC North. And that's the Chicago Bears, and and it's really been all off season. They have not helped Justin Fields. They did really nothing in this draft for me. They took the wide receiver out of Tennessee in the first round. I think he's 25 and he's going to be a rookie. I think the wide receiver in the third round from Tennessee who's, who's 25 and he's a rookie. I, I didn't get that at all. I, I just didn't get why they didn't trade up for a receiver to help Justin Fields. You want to put your quarterback in position to succeed. And I feel like the Bears are not doing that right now. So I – I did not like what the Bears did. And number five, the Houston Texans. I thought the two first, they had two first-round picks, a really good opportunity uh, to, to, to rebuild this team. And I think they, they, I thought both their picks were reaches. I thought that, uh, uh, that Derek Stingley was a reach. And the guy they traded down with, uh, Keon Green, the, the, the Kenyon Green, the, the uh, offensive lineman from, the, from uh, Texas A&M, I thought he was a reach too. So my five losers, Patriots, Cowboys, Vikings, Bears, and Texans. Justin, your losers from this draft. My losers, I'll start number one, the Chicago Bears. Yeah, they didn't really help out Joseph Fields at all. Blair's Jones, yeah, he turns to actually 25 next week. So he'll be 25. Um, yeah, you know, and I didn't like either that they, they waited to the fifth or yeah, fifth round to get an offensive lineman as well for Justin Fields. Yeah. I know corner, or I mean, I know secondary with, with um, they got Kyler Gordon and, and Jaquan Brisket out of uh, Penn State. I know Brisker, secondary was an Brisker. issue, Brisker, Brisker. Yeah, I know that was an yeah. issue, but I, I, yeah, I'm with you. I think you had to go out and get help Justin Fields. It just kind of seems they have not done that. And yeah, I, I think the Bears kind of failed there. I know they didn't have first round pick, but so they, they, you know, I thought it was a very good wide receiver class, and I think they could have got one in the second round there to help out Fields. Um, number two, I thought I was the um, Washington football team. I I liked that they got Sam Howell in the fifth round. I thought he could have. I didn't get you traded down it, you know, and then you got Dotson. You could have had Chris Elite Olave there. Um, you know, I wasn't kind of impressed by some of the late late kind of choices outside of like a uh, Sam Howell. Um, you know, Brian Robinson. I you know could be a solid running back, but um. 
know, I, I don't think he'll turn into much at wide receiver there. Um, I wasn't really impressed with Washington draft outside of really, um, you know, Sam Howell. Number three for me was the Arizona Cardinals. I thought partly they gave up a little bit too much to go get Marquise Brown in the first place. I, you know, I thought, you know, first and third may have been a little bit too much. Um, but I just didn't think that they really addressed a ton of their needs. I like, I know, you know, the tight end spot, they're their first pick in uh, McBride. Like you, you have Max Williams, Eckert. Why do you need another tight end? Um, thought they could have used another um, guy off the edge. They didn't really do that to seventh round. So I was not really impressed with the um, Arizona Cardinals draft. Number four for me was the San Francisco 49ers. I liked their first pick in uh, Drake Jackson. Um, they, they need another edge guy to go with Joey Bosa. Um, I, I did like that one, but outside of that, like Trey date, um, trying Davis price out of LSU, the running back. I think that was a total reach, you know, Danny green, a wide receiver. He's kind of, he's another speed guy, you know, I put, I, I thought he was a guy that could have gone the fourth, fifth round, you know, cornerback, um, Samuel Womack. I, um, uh, you know, he's an underside cornerback. I, you know, I agree. I just didn't like it a whole what the Niners did. Um, and then number five for me was was um, Jacksonville. Because, you know, getting Trayvon Walker was definitely a reach. And then you trade it up to get – then you, you know, then you go out and get Devin Lloyd. And then your next pick, you go back and you get another line. Um, the, I mean, not the next one. It, the And the pick after that, you go out and you get, get another linebacker and Chad Muma out of – Wyoming it's like why you know um why'd you trade up they get Lloyd and then go back and get another running back and they didn't you know they got one off into Lyman and Luke Fortner out of Kentucky but I, I you know I think he was more of like a fourth or fifth round guy and you got him in the third round I, I didn't really like what Jacksonville did and you know um out there as well trying to I thought they, you know they should have got a couple more off of the Lyman to help out Lawrence, especially earlier in the draft. They didn't really do that. So my five losers were Chicago, Washington, Arizona, San Francisco, and Jacksonville. All righty, all righty. So now we're going to get to the quarterbacks in this draft class. And obviously Pickett went to the Steelers in the first round. Then the three guys went in the third round. Ritter to the Falcons, Willis to the Titans, and Carl to the Panthers. I think it's pretty obvious who's going to be in the best situation. I think we can agree it is uh it's 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 um it's it's Kenny Pickett. I think he's playing. They, they're not going to start him right away. They're going to start Mitch Trubisky. I think the Steelers know this is kind of a bridge year where that they they don't expect to be Super Bowl contenders. So they expect you know Pickett to sit and learn. He's going to get a fifth year because he's a first round pick. So they'll probably eventually uh, uh they'll exercise the fifth year option on him. So I think the, the I think Pickett's I think it's pretty obvious that Pickett's in the best situation to succeed. Uh, looking at the other quarterbacks, I think Willis is probably second. Uh, is, is 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 second if you if you is, is second uh, behind a picket because I feel like he's not going to start right away. He can learn. He's got a lot of upside, and I think he could learn that offense in Tennessee. I mean, eventually, I think he's he, he he's going to get a chance, but he could sit there and learn. And the other two guys, I don't think are in great situations. Now, I do think that Corral and Ritter are could get on the field before Pickett and and Willis because of their teams are going to need them to get on the field. I think I think that Desmond Ritter could barely get very easily get on the field in the middle of the season because Marcus Mariota could really really struggle and they're going to need Kenny they're going to need a uh, Desmond Ritter to get on the field. 
Uh, and then Matt Corral, who I think is in the worst situation of any of these quarterbacks because I feel like the Panthers, their starting quarterback right now, Sam Darnold, he starts to struggle. Matt Rule's job is on the line. He's going to go right to Matt Corral, and he's and you don't know if Christian McCaffrey could be could be able to stay healthy. He's not been durable at all. He's the one. He's the quarterback for me that I think is in the worst situation. I think Ritter's not in a great situation because he won't go in right away. And the reason also why I think that Corral and Ritter aren't in good situations is because if they're not good, their organization because they're third round picks, their organizations are going to completely move on from them. A guy like Pickett, he could maybe struggle at the end of the season, and uh, and and the Steelers are not going to move on from him because I think they're invested in him. And even Willis, if he struggles a little bit, I still feel like because of his upside, the Titans will s- still keep him around. But I think Ritter and uh, Ritter and uh, Corral, if they struggle, those organizations are going to get rid of him because they're third round picks. Yeah, yeah, you know, I have to say more as you here with Pickett being number one. Yeah, you're going to Steelers, you're going to go organization. They mentioned too in the draft. I, I really liked what they did offensively. He did really improve last year. You know, forty-two touchdowns, seven interceptions. You know, I I think he re- really did kind of really improve last year, and I think that like fifth year really um really helped him out there and kind of learned. So he's an older guy as well. Yeah, I don't think he's probably gonna play right away. You know, but yeah, halfway through the season, bit risky kind of, you know. Doesn't really, you know, move the needle for him. Yeah, I definitely could see Kenny Pickett coming right away and, um, you know, trying to provide a spark for that team. Yeah, for me, Willis is number two as well. I, you know, I think for Tennessee, I think they do have a good team. You know, they don't have a lot of really good wide receivers now that they traded for A.J. Brown. Again, I think Trellon Burst is going to be good, um, but I don't think right away. I think to take him, take him some time as well. You know, yeah, I think the upside is really there for Willis, you know, um, I know like to knock to him because he never he didn't throw a touchdown against the power five team. I know, you know, he transferred out of um of Auburn to go to Liberty. He played Ole Miss this year, but you know, he got sacked I think, in that game like eight times because of the offensive line. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think Willis's upside, you know, he's got he's got some high upside there. I, I think he definitely could become a, a starter for Tennessee. Possibly he could come on the field this year. You know, Tannehill's has really struggled and, you know, Hamlet gets banged up too. I could, you know, you would not be surprised to see Malik Willis come on the field, but I, I think he's probably another year away. Um, and then number three is Ritter. You know, he's a four-year start. He's a four-year start at Cincinnati. I know Arthur Smith really likes Marcus Mariota. You know, I know he had him when he was at Tennessee. You know, it, you know, Ritter, I think is a guy that can do it. I think he, you know, times he makes some bad choices kind of, just staring down his number, his number one option and, and you know, kind of gets him in trouble at times. But um, I, I think he could kind of fit for a team. You know, I, I think he, he definitely he could move on if a team, the, you know, the Falcons could trade him. If kind of things kind of get out of hand and, you know, they'll be Darth Smith's year number two. I don't know if they'll fire him after this year. To, uh, who knows? But um, it'll, it'll be interesting how he does. And then, yeah, Matt Corral at Carolina – it's a tough spot. I don't you know. It's a, it's a really tough spot for him. And I, I think he may struggle at the NFL level just because of the type of offense he ran at Ole Miss. It's just a high-octane offense. How does he do now coming back to traditional offensive offense? And then, too, like, I think if Carolina saw uh, Joe Brady, I think I'd be uh, more high on, on Matt Crowell. 
But, you know, I, I think that could really fit him. But I don't know how he'll do with a traditional offense, you know, especially the line's not great. I, he, made, he made a lot of better decisions last year. But, it's just, yeah, it's a tough situation if Matt Rule gets fired. You know, again, you know, the new kind of regime may not be a fan of him. And, yeah, he may get traded away. I don't think, you know, he may have to get forced into the game. He's probably not going to be ready for that, you know, um, just because I think it's going to take some time to kind of get back learning a traditional, really kind of more pro-style offense. And I think, I think you know, he could have a, a lot of kind of um, bumps in the road from that. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. So uh, now we're going to look at, you know, day two and day three. And I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about day two, uh, just about day two, one question about day two, one question about day three. And for day two, who is the player that was picked on day two, the second and third round, who has a chance to be a perennial pro bowler? I think, you know, I was going back and forth between him at this guy and the Kobe Dean, but I went with Sky Moore at Kansas City. I just think the situation he's going in, he's going to be a big part of that offense, I feel like, this year. I think he fits. Um, he torches press coverage. He's just – he's a tough guy to tackle in the open field. I know he's undersized at five five foot ten. Um, he had some really good productive years at Western Michigan. I think he could be a big play guy for Kansas City. And you pair him up with a guy like Patrick Mahomes, and he's going to – Patrick Mahomes is going to make you better. And I think he could do that for Sky Moore. Um, I think he could go – I think he gets in a good situation. I think he fits that Kansas City offense very well. Who is the day three guy who could be a solid starter in this league? I went with the running back at a, with the Chargers, Isaiah Spiller. I think he was one of the top running backs coming out of the draft. I know some of his pre um, – he had some bad kind of pre-draft workouts that I think kind of hurt his stock. But I thought he was one of the best running backs coming out. Of um, they're going in like the, the September. I like you know he could be one of the best top running backs taken off the board. Um, you know he's got you know he's decent in the receiving game. They use him a ton. I know you know with the Chargers they'll probably they got you know Austin Eckler. Um, he's probably not going to be a third down back in this in this in, in the NFL at least probably not right away. But I, I think he's a guy. The last couple of years he's been a thousand yard rusher. Um, you know he runs hard. Not the most electric guy, but um, I think he's a hard runner. I think, you know, does a lot of things well. I think he could be a solid start in this league for for a team. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. But we got to wrap, we'll wrap up talking about the Giants and Patriots. We'll talk about the, uh, we talk, I talked a little bit more about the Patriots, but I'll definitely get your thoughts on the Patriots. But first, we'll start with the Giants. And I thought this draft was well, not great, but I, but I, but I, 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 it was pretty good. I, I liked, I love the first two picks. I mean, I love the fact they got Thibodeau, and I love the fact they went out and got Evan Neal. They addressed a need, and they got the best player available. I really, really like that pick. Second round, I thought they, I thought that Wendell Robinson pick, pick was a reach. I thought it was a reach, especially – I don't think they should have traded down with Atlanta. I thought they should have stayed home and taken Booth or Kyler Gordon because they're probably going to need a corner because they're probably they're more than likely going to part ways with James Bradbury. So – I I, I, I I thought that second-round pick, pick was a reach. I thought their first, third-round pick was a reach, getting that guard from North Carolina. I thought that was a reach. I liked the, the, the getting the corner from LSU. I liked, I liked that pick third, uh, in the third round. But the thing was is they could have taken a corner in the second round and maybe got the steal with N'Kobe Dean in the third round because Dean went two picks after that. So I, I, I wish they went corner second round and maybe got that steal with N'Kobe Dean in the third round. Fourth round, I like Bellinger. I like Bellinger. I think he could be a – Solid tight end for this team. He could, with with Ingram gone, he could wind up because really their starting tight end right now is Ricky Seals Jones. With Ingram gone, he could be the tight end of the future. Uh, so I don't mind Bellinger in the fourth round. 
I thought uh, Felton, the safety out of Iowa, was kind of a reach. And I thought every pick outside of Beavers, every other pick they had outside of that was a reach. So I like the draft. I'll, I give it like a B or a B plus. So I, 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 I did like what the Giants did. I like what Joe Shane did in his first draft. Justin, what do you think of the Giants draft? Yeah, I think they did a good job, especially night one. Night one was great. You, you may have got two of the top two guys in the entire class, you know, um, Thibodeau, Evan Neal. You know, I think you addressed it. Yeah, when Wendell Robinson was kind of a, was a reach. I think he's another kid here is Tony. You know, not the off the feet. You know, I don't, he doesn't seem like he's probably off the field. But like, I, I think he got another kid here is Tony. You know, which if he's on the field and healthy, I think that could that could be a great match for you. But you know, um, I think Tony's probably gonna probably get traded or released at some point. Um, I, I like Bellinger as well too because yeah, he came over from a run style team at San Diego. He's a pretty good run blocker as a tight end. He's got some decent hands. So, yeah, he, I think he's got a very good chance to be a starter, you know, at least compete for the starting job in um, year number one. And I think, you know, for the Giants, too, they, they had, you know, you could have gone pretty much anywhere to, you know, there's a lot of holes. And I think they did a pretty good job. Yeah, I know Dean, that would have been, you know, nice to kind of get the Kobe Dean there in the third round to get another linebacker. Um, you know, obviously they didn't, but um, – yeah, you know, I think overall though they they did a really nice job. I think they did nice job kind of kind of build that offensive line, even some developmental guys with uh, you know Merck McKenneth, uh, McKenneth, you know Joshua Uzuna, both from um, North Carolina, and you know and the Darian Beaver soup out of Cincinnati, um, the UConn transfer. I, I you know uh, you know I, I liked him. You both at UConn, he, he was kind of a, he. Was, one of the leaders for Cincinnati last year. I think he's one of the top guys in sacks last year, maybe. Or tags for losses. He had a really fantastic year with the Bearcats. Um, I think he's another guy, developmental guy, but I think he'd be somebody that could get on the field in a couple of years and, um, you know, get get some snaps, you know, as a backup. Um, I think he'd be somebody, good kind of um, death piece for, for the Giants. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But now we got to get to the Patriots, and I thought their draft was absolutely terrible. And I was surprised – you didn't have them as one of your losers. I'm really surprised because I thought their draft was terrible. I thought it was I thought it was the worst of any team. I thought it was absolutely terrible. But why did you not have the Patriots as one of your losers in the draft? I did until Saturday night. I kind of listened to um Mac Roth, the what is it, the new I forget what his title is. But um he said what their their two things that they wanted was get tougher, get faster. And I think they did that. So I think from a philosophy fan oh, standpoint, they geez. did what they wanted to do. You know. Cole, How is Cole Strange a good pick in the first round? He just fits Bill. I can't just dis- I can't describe. He had a third round grade. I know. I, know. I, I Thornton had a fourth round grade. Doran, I really like Doran oh. now afterwards because there's no guy in this offense that could kind of take the um take the top, top off, off the defense. defense. He can do that. He's gonna do that. I think he could be a. I think he could be very at six three the way he runs. I think he could be a very, very nice piece of this offense. I'm actually kind of excited for him. Now, a- after a while, I-, I I am excited for him right now, um, see what he can do. Because I think, you know, that opens up things for Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar because I think they're better underneath. You know, Ju- I mean, Nelson Myers. Aguilar, Jacoby Myers. Nelson Aguilar is absolutely terrible. I don't think he's, he's going to – I mean, he, th- th- there's a point he's not even going to get on the field. No, probably not. But, like, I, I think with the other guys, a Bourne, a Jacoby Myers, I think they're better underneath. Thorne's going to help that out. Um. The two running backs, this is where I – so I, I like Pierre Strong and Kevin Harris. 
the thing of why I think they drafted two was I think this is the writing on the wall that Damian Harris is a free agent after next season. I think this is pretty much telling me that Damian Harris is not going to be resigned, unfortunately. I think that's where we're going there with. Bailey Zappi, I don't really – didn't really understand that. That's like the one where I'm yeah, – post-range I get because he fits. Why Why do you need a quarterback in the fourth round? Get a back – if you need a quarterback, just get it in the fifth or sixth round. Why would you waste a fourth-round pick on a backup quarterback? Yeah, I don't know that one because Stenham's a free agent at the end of the year. Brian Hoyer, I, I again, that guy's more of like the water boy now than anything else on this team. Yeah. Um, I like Zappy. I just I don't unless it's just kind of motivation for Mac Jones more sake. You know, I, I guess with the off of the line too, which I think will get better. I think you know it's still a very big. You know, it, it's a work in progress, but it, I guess if he gets hurt. It's Bailey, you know, Bailey Zappi is going to be the guy, I guess. I, it's probably more just, you know, the, the insurance just in case Mac Jones gets hurt. But yeah, the Cole Strange one, the only thing I could come up with is he fits because before Chattanooga, he why? Because they, why? Because why? Because they had an, oh, God. That, that's, oh, that's, and, and, and why? And because they created a need at guard and they had to take a guard. Is that another reason yeah. why they took him? I, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that's only, yeah. I, I, I really, that, that did was not get but. I did not get this draft by the Patriots, and I don't think they got better, and I don't think they're going to make their quarterback better with what they've done in the draft, what they've done in the offseason. I think they've had an absolutely pathetic offseason, one of the worst offseasons of any team, and and they, and they eventually – and this could and, and Bill could, could eventually get in trouble for this. I think Bill, Bill Bill's job could be on the line because of what's been going on this offseason. I think it could. I heard this Matt Groth guy believe um, – it was more to bring in a lot of the scouting, you know, was, was huge in the scouting. I, I think it sounded like he had a big part of kind of the draft picks. And I think he kind of, he did last year too, it sounded like. So uh, I'm going to have some confidence in him and Bill kind of see what they did. I, I like the speed that they brought. This team had no speed last year. I like the speed. The, yeah, but, but where's the speed? Where's the speed on defense? Where's the speed? It's their, um, yeah, there's speed on it, offense. Where's the speed on defense? It doesn't exist on this team. Marcus Jones Dexton. more special team, but he's five foot eight. I don't know how if he's in yeah, the yeah. You had happens. Daxton Hill there with the number. Yeah, you had Daxton Hill there, and you chose to take to reach and take Cole Strange. Yeah, I, again, I can't explain that. I didn't have a great draft. I put them like probably we did a top ten worst. I'd probably put them in that one. I didn't even top five. I I just I liked what I liked the offense that they did. Yeah, I think they did a lot. Like a, like a Marcus Jones and Jack Jones, they're probably gonna be two special teamers. Uh, but it gives you cornerback tech because they have zero of that. Like, I don't really know who's going to be our corner number one. Like, um, Probably Malcolm Butler because he, he's probably, probably – I mean, he's not the player he once was, but no. he's, he's better than any other corner you have now that you didn't resign J.C. Jackson. Yeah, and Jonathan Jones probably be under two, which scares me. I'm not a big fan of him. So, you, you, you got depth at the corner position. Uh, you know, off of the line, like, you know, off of the line, I think it's kind of developmental here, you know, you know, Chasen Hines and Andrew um, Stuber, I think, you know, could be nice depth pieces, but yeah, that's, that's about it. I just, I like the speed. I think special teams that kind of helps with that too. Calvin Harris, I think probably gonna be the guy that's going to take over Damian Harris next year. Um, that's kind of my only thing. The Zappy one, I, I do like Zappy, but it's like, yeah, we do have Mac and it's like, what do you, you know, cause I, he's got a big arm and, you know, um, I remember watching Houston Baptist that, that, he, he lit up Texas Tech one year. I think he had 465 yards in Texas Tech one year. And that Houston Baptist team had no talent whatsoever. That was, you know, he, he was the only thing they had. And 
Um, he was outstanding. I like him, but yeah, he's going to be a backup. Like it's not like he's going to be competing. Like his, you know. So yeah, I, I think they had a better draft. I just like the speed that they added. I do think that's going to help Mac Jones out offensively, defensively. Yeah, like the corners, they're very undersized too that they got. So I'm thinking either slot guys or they're going to be special teamers. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens here. I didn't like the Patriots draft. You like it better than me. We'll see how it ends up playing out. But the Yankees and Red Sox are going in opposite directions. But before we talk about that, we got a promo from Clovercrest Media. Do you have a 401k and some savings for future retirement, but don't even know if it's enough to live off of? How much is enough? How often are you thinking about it? The team at JPEX Financial Group can help set your mind at ease. We specialize in creating strategies in the planning and managing of your financial, educational, and investment needs. We help clients pursue their investment goals with sound financial strategies. You deserve a personal, tailored plan. Lasting, meaningful, and open relationships are the foundation of our practice. You've worked hard for your money and should feel confident in your investment choices as you make decisions for your financial future. Your goals are our goals. We are dedicated to your needs and hopes for your future. Visit our website and give us a call at 860-430-5397. Securities offered through Raymond James Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors, Inc. JPEX Financial Group, LLC is not a registered broker-dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services. JPEX Financial Group is located at 78 Eastern Boulevard, Glastonbury, Connecticut. All righty, how about those Yankees winning 11 in a row? And it's just everything's clicking for them. The starting pitching has been outstanding. Garrett Cole has found his form. Jordan Montgomery's pitched well. Severino wasn't great on Sunday, but he's pitched well this year. Tyone was really good last night. The bullpen's obviously been awesome. And the lineup has really found a stride. I DJ LeMayu in the leadoff spot. Rizzo's had a really good good year. Judges red hot. Stanton has hit the ball pretty well. Uh, Kiner Falefa, who I was not a fan of, it's been a pleasant surprise. Even Glaber Torres, you know when you're playing well when Glaber Torres is is, is 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 hitting the ball well. He had that two run homer. He had that huge hit on Monday night. This Yankee team right now winning eleven in a row, and everything's going well. Everything is clicking. I mean, and 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 really, when everything clicks in baseball, you're going to have a great team. And this Yankee team has potential of being a great team. Yeah, you know, I it, it's been surprising what they've been able to do. Um, because again, you know, they lost two out of three from Baltimore, and it was kind of like team old team. But yeah, you know, this lineup, yeah, and they're they're you know they're stealing bases, they're they're doing the little things like that. Marwin Gonzalez kind of uh, run down last night at their base. Now, yes, Vladdy tagged them, and the Toronto kind of you know did not have a challenge, so they couldn't. But like again, he kept he kept going there. He kind of waited for the you know if he didn't you know he waited like it's like the small things like that that kind of make the difference in the game and. It's something they've been doing. Yeah, Aaron Judge has been red hot. You know, Sunday they're down 4 1 to Kansas City. There's no way, there's no shot last year that team, that last year's team comes back and, and wins that game Sunday. You know, they do because they could never sweep teams last year. That was their problem last year. They they win the first two games of the series and they come out flat as a pancake for, you know, the final game of the series. You know, they didn't. Judges, yeah, Judges, boy, it's like he's batting like 350 during the last 10 games. Um, you know, Stan's been playing well. Yeah, Glaber Torres is I yeah, I don't know what happened, but he, he fixed he found something and it seems like he's been fixed and he's he's um he's been playing well. Yeah, this pitching staff's been unbelievable. Um, you know, Nestor Cortez has been he's been nasty. Um he's been pretty much unhittable. 
think Garrett Cole figured it out. And um, yeah, Tyone last night shutting down a really good Toronto lineup. It, it, like it's everything's clicking right now. I just hope they're not peaking too early here. Yeah, I mean, oh, it's been great. I mean, it's 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 been outstanding. It's 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 been phenomenal. I mean, yeah, and you said the right thing. Let's hope not peaking too early. But you made a great point about when they were down four-one on Sunday. Last year's team loses that game. That's why I'm starting to get. I'm not convinced, but I'm starting to get a feeling that things are going to be different this year. And, and I think the biggest reason why the things are different, obviously, the bullpen, the rotation wasn't great, but it was good last year. The bullpen was good. But the lineup has been the difference. The lineup has definitely been the difference. And it makes a difference when you have a good leadoff hitter in that lineup. Hicks or LeMayu, that's made a difference because that judge because judge been able to get going. Rizzo, second in all of baseball and RBIs, he's been able to get going. Uh and 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 and, and the lineup, they're right now they're tied for first with the Mets and run scored. I think that was that was the issue going to the season. I think that is the reason why this team right now is probably the best team in baseball. Yeah, they're them and the Mets right now are just they're both on fire. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, Lemayu looks, you know, again, he looks injury free right now. Um, he's playing great betting, just under 300. He's been great top of the order. And yeah, Rizzo, Rizzo's been great with running scoring position. Same with Judge. You know, even Stan's hitting a lot of hard hit balls, you know, and, and Hicks has played well coming off the injury. Uh, you know, like even John Donaldson the other night did something, you know, he got an RBI. He's not been great, but he got a big hit there on Monday night. Yeah, it's just been this um it's this team's kind of just yeah, it's finding a way. You know, Marvin Gonzalez, he hasn't played a lot, but he's batting with three under. He's been good when he's been in the lineup. So yeah, it's it's been like the the, the like the one hole right now has kind of been the catcher spot. That's in you know, that's kind of a lot of holes for a lot of teams around the league. So yeah, you know, right now, yeah, this lineup's just clicking and yeah, as you mentioned you mentioned, yeah, when you get that leadoff hitter on with the LeMahieu with what you have down coming up next it's it, it makes it very challenging for a pitcher to kind of get around that and get out of that inning um and now especially like a guy like judge has stolen a couple bases you know i think gal even has a couple or one or two and even hicks is still base like it, you know it puts pre- it in or even like um late in a game when tim lucasio comes on to pitch run for somebody again it put uh, pressure on the pitcher you know they didn't they didn't really they didn't do that at all. The only time they did that last year was in August, and that's when they pretty much played their best baseball last year. So, yeah, I'm with you. I'm not – I'm really enjoying it, and I hope this is to come. But, yeah, like, it, it, you know, it, it's nice that we're being up in the Blue Jays because the last couple of weeks they played, like, the Royals and Orioles and was kind of in Cleveland. It was like, okay, can they do this against Toronto? And so far, so good for them. Absolutely. That's another good point you made. You know, a lot of people are going to say, oh, well, look at look who they play. They played the Guardians. They played the they played the Royals. They played the they played the Royals. They played the Orioles. Look at all the teams they played. They, they're not that good because look at the teams they played. Now they're proving it against the good teams. Now they're proving it against the Blue Jays on the road. So you can't talk about you know the teams they're playing right now. Outside of the Mets, they're playing better than anyone in baseball, and you can't deny that. You you cannot deny that. We both were critical of this team going into the season. We both thought this was a third or fourth place team, but. They have surprised us so far. They're 18 and six. They've won 11 in a row. They have surprised us. And, and and like I just said, outside of the Mets, they're playing better than anybody in baseball. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, and yeah, them and the Mets are now on fire. And I think the Mets are, well, actually, they're still tied, but um, they're playing Atlanta right now. But yeah, they, they're, they're, they, they've been on fire. Win 11 straight to show, really, especially the way they started. It was, you know, you, they lost two or three to Baltimore and they, you know, something just kind of clicked from there. You know, they came, you know, or I mean, um, 
or then they went to Detroit. They took two, two out of three to Detroit. Um, and then, yeah, they came home for that, you know, big six-team homestand, and they kind of just figured things out. You know, they're leading the league in home runs. Um, you know, they're, yeah, they're they're yeah tied with the Mets there first and, and run scored. But, yeah, the lineup, they're they're doing the little stuff this year. They're, they're good in, with runners of scoring position. You know, the pitchers are getting, you know, the big kind of shutdown innings that they need. You know, they're getting the timely hits. They're stealing some bases. Like, yeah, they're just they're just doing the little things that they haven't really done the last couple of years. And, it, you know, and I'm glad they're kind of trying to get back to some of that because, I, you know, that, that, that that's kind of huge. And I think, again, you put the ball in play, it puts pressure on the defense. Again, when you strike out, it, it, you, it does no help. You know, you put the ball in play, who knows? You know, you still can get, commit an error. You know, you can still beat out a kind of a tapper down the line, you know, small, you know, slow rolling tapper. It, you know, things didn't happen when we put the ball in play. Not when you just strike in. I think they're doing a better job of that and not just striking out. Exactly, exactly. And then you saw that last night. I think they scored six runs without in, in the seventh thing without even hitting a home run. So they're definitely doing a better job of that. So, the, so you know, this Yankee team is playing really, really well. But we got to move on to the team that's not playing well in the AL East, and that's the Red Sox. Right now, they're ten and fourteen, and really the struggles have kind of been surprising. You would think if they were ten and fourteen, their rotation would be absolutely terrible, and their offense would still be decent. But it's but it's the opposite. Their offense has been very very disappointing so far. And if you look at this offense, Trevor's story has been a flat out disappointment. You look at this lineup. Yes, Devers and and Bogarts and JD are hitting for high averages, but they're not hitting for power. And if you look at six, seven, eight. Nine in this lineup has been absolutely terrible. Kike Hernandez has been awful. Bobby Dahlbeck has been awful. Uh, Jackie Bradley Jr., that was a bad trade, trading him, uh, getting him back and trading Hunter Renfro, who had a really good year for the Sox last year. So their offense has has not has really underachieved. Right now they're 23rd in run scored. So their offense has been the biggest reason because their rotations kind of kept them afloat. I mean, Evaldi has, has pitched really, really well. Whitlock, when he started, has pitched well. Waka, Waka pitched well last night. So their rotation has actually been kind of keeping them afloat. We all know their bullpen isn't good, but their rotation is keeping them afloat and their offense is really underachieved. And that's why that's why right now they're sitting in fourth place in the AL East at 10 and 14. Yeah, absolutely. It's been that. Yeah, it's been the big hits. It's been the lineup. Um, you lost two or three to Baltimore. And, you know, again, in, you know, in, in Toronto, too, you lost um, three or four. And, you know, the Toronto series, too, it's like, you know, they kind of got some runs early. They couldn't do anything off of it. And at times, too, it's like they hit the ball hard at times, too. It's just they, they just go, it's gone right at somebody. They, it's kind of, too, been a combination of bad luck. But, yeah, their they're bottom three has just been horrendous. Um, you know, yeah, Kike has been horrible. You know, Story, I think they're hoping turns the corner soon but because he just did not have much of a spring training. I think he had, like, 10 at-bats during spring training. So, they're hoping he kind of gets into a rhythm and groove soon. But yeah, you know, especially in this division where you can't, you know, you can't keep falling behind because, you know, I think at some point, you know, we all know the Rays are kind of going to figure it out. They're going to keep going. Obviously the the Blue Jays and Yankees right now are going to be on top and dirty back eight games of, of the Yankees. Like, you know, you can't really keep digging yourself in the hole and yeah, they'll, they're, they're, their staff's been good, you know, Barnes is, you know, still kind of having problems there, but you know, I think it really hurt too that they didn't have Walker last week in Toronto. You know, they they wouldn't have blown those two games because Garrett Whitlock probably would have closed those two games last week in Toronto, uh, but they had to start them on Thursday, and that kind of hurt them the bullpen wise. And you know, they just yeah, they kind of kind of got to you know 
they just got to stay afloat till Chris Sale comes back. And I believe he's supposed to start some rehab assignments very soon because I think June 14th, he's eligible to come out the IL. So he's a month away from today. So, you know, they're, they're, they just got to stay afloat till they can kind of get Chris Sale back in that rotation. And then sounds like probably Whitlock and, and Hauk are probably going to be two guys that are kind of just be bridge guys. And when those two are on, though, that that, that bullpen's going to – it's going to help out that bullpen. But, yeah, the, the lineup has not – it's kind of hurt them at times this year. Yeah, and in this division, it could get late early for the Red Sox because they got they, obviously they got to start hitting, and they can't rely on Waka to keep pitching the way he's pitching. This rotation, I mean, they've they've overachieved, but it's shaky. So the Red Sox got to start hitting, or it's going to get very it's going to get late early, especially in this division. Yeah, absolutely. They're you know in the in the bottom ten of the league right now, and in, in, uh, everyone scored this year. And again, you know, coming in the season, you know. Boston had one of the best lineups right in the league, you know, with, with the combination and adding story, uh, you know, again, in, in the way Dahlbeck finished, you know, we thought he was going to take that next step for Boston. He's really showing. They've actually been calling for Tristan Cass is one of their top prospects to kind of come up and, and play first base for Dahlbeck. He, he's, he's really struggled. Um, yeah, it, it, it really could be. This offense doesn't really get going here. Yeah. And, you know, the Angels, they got – the Angels last night, but the Angels have started out the season really good. They got the White Sox this weekend, who had, they've been struggling as well, but at some point that that's a good roster. They'll figure it out. They got Houston at the end of the month. They go to Chicago at the end of the month. Like, you know, for the rest of the month, it, it you know, they, they got Texas coming up soon in Baltimore. But, yeah, you know, they don't – they can't kind of steal some of these. Yeah, it, it's going to be – it. you know, they're going to find themselves in a lot of problems, you know, July and August trying to – find themselves to get a wild card game because yeah, you, you, you know, with how good this division is going to be. And um, yeah, you can't just keep falling behind it right now. They've um, they're, they're really struggling right now to kind of get out of their own way. Absolutely. 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 So we'll wrap up the show talking about the NHL playoffs. And last night my team was playing in it. So I think last night I watched, I texted Justin this. I watched more hockey last night than I watched all year. I devoted four and a half hours to watch that game. And what I got was another painful, mm. painful New York Ranger playoff loss. I've seen this enough in my lifetime. Another just painful Ranger playoff loss. Obviously, they came out uh, they came out fast out of the gates, took a 2-0 lead. Then the Penguins showed their experience, tied the game at 2 in the second period. Then had that huge shorthanded goal by Chris Kreider, put him up 3-2. Then right, then, right, then right after that, the Penguins tied the game. And then you're thinking the Rangers are going to win because they get that goal, that controversial goal that got disallowed. And then you sit there for three overtimes to watch the Penguins go up 1-0 on the Rangers. And two questions, Justin. How did the Rangers get back in that series? First, what were your thoughts on that call last night? And how did the Rangers get back in the series? One, I think that call is ridiculous. I So Capo Capo could not really avoid. Now, every time I know you go to the net like that, you're crashing the net, there's a chance. But he, the shove, I don't know how you can avoid it. And I thought Dumoulin, the Pittsburgh defender, knocked out to Smith more than Capo Caco did, you know, when he dove there. So, again, I thought that was ridiculous that that got overturned. Yes, it, you know, it possibly did decide that game. But I, I thought it was a ridiculous call. And, again, I the, the Rangers probably should have won that game in regulation. Um, yeah, it was another brutal loss for him. Shashurkin stood on his head. Again, it it, it – you're, you're right about another heartbreaking loss. The goaltender stands on his head, and the offense just cannot help him out. Like Lundqvist went through that for years, and Igor Shurkin looks like he's going to have to 
battle through that again. Um, unfortunately, yeah, they came out fast. Um, for the Rangers, they got to shut down that first line. You know, Russ, Gensley, Crosby just killed them. And Crosby, he's so good because he, the Rangers kind of sent two guys at him. And he's just so good at finding the open guy. And you saw that he made a couple of really nice passes there. And he found the open guy. And they made the Rangers pay for it. You know, they gave up 25 shots in the second period. They just, they got, you know, they kind of were able to hang in there. They had a great start. I loved how they aggressive they were in the four check. Um, now that, that, that hit too, that Lingren put on um, Raquel there, that was not a penalty either. And the rust kind of swallowed their whistle after that. There's not many penalties called there. And that could buy, that could hurt the Rangers because the Rangers are one of the best teams on, um, you know, power play teams this year. That, that could really hurt the Rangers. They cannot get some calls. Obviously they usually do swallow the whistles in the playoffs, but they got to take every advantage of that. Um, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting how a young team like this bounces back in the playoffs after a defeating loss like that. Especially, too, you, you got their third string goal at one point, and he just comes in and it was a brick wall. So, and saves, you know, the 17 shots he faced. So, it, it was very frustrating. But again, they endured some positive takes out for it, for it. But, you know, two for the Penguins' sake, too, is this is probably the last go around for the Penguins because Malkin's a free agent at the end of the year and Chris Latang is as well. So, I think for those three of Crosby, Latang, and um, Tank and Malkin, this is their last kind of dance here. So, yeah, I think the Penguins know that. So it's going to be a tough out for the Rangers. But again, it's a tough one to lose. And obviously, Thursday is a must win. Absolutely. 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 Now, shifting over to the Bruins, and the Bruins got destroyed in game one. They lost five to one of the Hurricanes. Is there any way the Bruins can get back in the series, or are the Hurricanes just too tough? I think they're going to be just too much of the Bruins. And during the regular season, the three or four games they played, the Hurricanes had scored them 16 to one. That kind of all. Needs, that kind of tells you all you need to know about that that the series. Again, the I, the Bruins I thought were the better team. They had 39 shots on goal to Carolina 26. You know, Yomark just really struggled in his first postseason appearance. Uh, he had a rough one, and I don't remember. You do I don't know if you remember Auntie Retina, the former uh, Rangers backup for a while. He's been filling in for uh, Frederick Frederick Anderson, who's been hurt. He he played well in that and kind of shut it down, but. You know, the Bruins, again, they have so much experience with Marchand still. Um, you know, Pasenak, you know, again, you know, McAvoy, Carlo. Like, they have guys that have been there for a while. They kind of know, you know, they they, they they know how to kind of win the playoffs. But I, I just think the youth of Carolina is just going to be too much for them. Um, you know, Boston's got to get out to a fast start tonight. They got to get some confidence. Carolina may get their starting goaltender back in Frederick Anderson. I think, no, he's still a game-time decision. Um, but they just got to get some, they got to get it on the board early and try to put some pressure on, on, on Carolina or just to get some, just to get some confidence. And I, I think that's, that's what they have to do tonight, but it's a, it's a tough, it's a very tough one for Carolina because they just have so much firepower. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think, I think I, seeing Carolina being the number one seed, I think that's going to be a very, very tough series for the Bruins, but that's going to wrap it up on sports talk with RJ. Our producer, Chase Garcia, did a great job. And for Justin Anafrio, I'm Steve Risser. We'll be back next week talking NBA playoffs, Yankees and Red Sox, and NHL playoffs. Have a great weekend, everyone. Joel Turner first down, wide open, it's Barkley. And Saquon Barkley will take it into the end zone. Your best ability is availability. Saquon Barkley, he's great when he's on the field. But the problem is, since 2018, he hasn't been healthy for this team. 
Look at this. They lob it to me. Taps it in off the glass. How about that? Porter Moser, I think right now, is the best coach of college basketball. Hands down. Finch, two for three. He's done his part. Pitch is drilled to deep right field toward the pole, and it is gone. They don't mind not being what they were in the 90s as the best organization in baseball, because the Yankees are not they're even close to the best organization in baseball. They're trying to be the Rays, and the Rays do this for a reason. Like, you're the Yankees. Hello, my name is Joe McGuire. I'm the president of Clovercrest Media Group. And here at CMG, we have a wide variety of podcasts, including sports shows like Keys to the City, The Roll Call, Throwing Jabs, All Four Downs, and Jawing About the G-Man. And great true crime shows like Sticky Meek, Crimes and Consequences, Ivy League Murders, and Bird, The Unsolved Murder of David Eichmann. You can find all these podcasts and so much more by visiting clovercrestmedia.com.